Oh, that's embarrassing. This podcast contains vulgar language and sensitive subjects. Listener discretion is advised. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Healthcare Villains. Hey, everybody. I am Poison Ivy. And I'm Juggerdoc, here for your listening pleasure. Yes. So sorry, everybody, that yeah. we um, did not have totally an episode. dropped the ball. Yeah, we didn't have an episode last week. We just got really busy and then Tuesday came around and we're like, oh, dang like, it. Fuck. Weren't we supposed to do something today? Yeah. Hmm. Besides, well, you know, our other two jobs that we have. Yeah. So we're both pretty busy. Pe- we really need to prioritize. <laughs> I think we need an assistant. We do need an assistant. Mm-hmm. Who's the, who's your number one fan that's on Instagram? <laughs> um, Bucky. Bucky. Yeah. So Bucky, if you're listening. Be our assistant. Juggerdoc needs an assistant. I do need an assistant. So. I don't know what the fuck I'm doing most of the time. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. So yeah. No and one's died. I have that I know two of. jobs and then, you know, Captain America and... Tinkerbell, Tinkerbell. Mm-hmm. all have like their, I'm at that phase in my life right now where my main job is to chauffeur my children around to all their things. That's a terrible, things. terrible thing. And then I try to maintain my own life and it's just, yeah, it's, it's busy. Life. Yeah. So. And two jobs. And Batman. Yeah. And Batman. And the house. Yeah. And the pets. Oh my God. All the pets. Yeah. The it's bat whole dog. Thing. Bat dog for the bat cave. I know. Yeah. And you redid your floors in your house? We did. Our, yeah. It's a whole thing. So. I just work. It's fine. Well, and I work too. And like, uh-huh. and so I'm like. <laughs> so if anyone actually needs an assistant, it's probably Poison Ivy more than myself <laughs> because I just have me. No dogs, no cats, no children, no nothing. I should like, you know, get like a sister wife. You totally should get a sister wife. Yeah. Then again, I would, I wouldn't mind having one of them. The stay at home kind. Stay, that's what I need, a stay-at-home kind. That, they need like, to be able to cook. Yeah, they can cook. And Clean. Seamstress and Seamstress. Oh, I didn't even think uh-huh. about that. I need she just can't touch She just can't touch Batman or she'll die. Um, I don't I don't think that's how it works. I think you got to have the perks, too. No. You can't just – that's called indentured servitude, actually. So I think that is slavery. Uh-huh. So. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's not the same thing as a sister wife, okay? <laughs> I don't know. It all, all that sounds kind of <laughs> a little um, – Hinky? Slavey. Mm. <laughs> Slavey? Slavey? Okay, sure. I'm going to go with it. Sounds like a word, I guess. I, I guess. So this week's episode, I actually told Juggerdoc, um, lucky for you, you don't have to do anything because I got very ins- – <laughs> well, you need to edit this stuff because I don't know what I'm doing. Okay, um, okay. So, but when we – so we had came back from – Las Vegas, mm-hmm. and so everybody should recall our Las Vegas episode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so um, one of the places we went was the Haunted Museum. Yes, we did. And I am ashamed to admit I am a huge Ghost Adventures fan. I yeah, loved- she was totally fanboying out when I, we were at the museum. She's like, oh, is the guy, what's it, Zach? What's his Zach name? Zach Bagans. Is he here? Uh-huh. Is he here? Is he here? I love to hate that guy. It's love to hate him. I love to hate him. And like, God I'm just like, you. someone has to. I was like, dude, you're so ridiculous. But I just can't stop watching. So anyway, <laughs> yeah, I was totally fangirling. I love Ghost Adventures. Well, and when we go through this haunted museum, right, it, they tell you like, oh, people have passed out and they get all these like uh, overcome with whatever and whatever. And as you're walking through this 
ancient fucking house that the heat is so goddamn hot and then they put you in this little tiny room like maybe what a 10 by 10 room with 12 people in it and they close the door yeah and then they close the door i'm like well that and they turn off the circulation in the Uh, room i'm sure they do yeah because i was getting lightheaded and i'm like motherfuckers this is science not a haunting yeah okay yeah it was it's called hyperventilation Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so you yeah then you pass out right or you're standing because you just stand there for yeah. so long, probably the, with your knees locked, mm-hmm. and then you're gonna pass out. And I then mm-hmm, it wasn't actually just it, it was, wasn't science. It was a bunch of bullshit, but it was cool stuff in there. It was cool stuff, but yeah, it's totally not haunted. Sorry, Zach. Yeah. I'm he, I'm pretty sure he's not listening because he's really full of himself. But <laughs> <laughs> ouch! Shots Listen, fired. I told you I love to hate him. Email us, Zach. Please I'm sure do. you got some good oh, stories. Oh my gosh, I really wanted to meet him too. <laughs> I was so pissed when they're like, oh, well, he's not here. I'm like, so you're sitting here telling me how involved he is and he's always here, but now he's not here. He's not often there, is what they actually said. At the first guy, I was like, oh yeah, he's here all the time. Then we talked to gift shop girl. She's like, no, not really. Not really. She she was like, yeah, he's like always in his freaking expensive car and then he leaves. I'm like, ooh, I think she's got some some disdain. Some... <laughs> Uh, so do I. So it's fine. So the and she said, "Oh, did you see the poker chips we have here? It has his face on." And I'm like, "Of course." Wow. It has. And she, I was like, "Of course, it has his fucking face on there." That's... And she's like, "I know." Oh, <laughs> it's a little ego. Yeah. Little... I told you, but ego. I love the guy, and I love to hate him. But anyway, but I also love Aaron, his other dude. Love that guy. I, so I mean, I don't know either one. If of anybody them, so. knows and watches Ghost Adventures, they totally understand. But anyways, so while we were there, we saw some really cool exhibits and mm-hmm. some stuff I honestly thought was kind of stupid, but some pretty cool stuff in there. One of the attractions we saw was Kevorkian's van. Mm, yes, Doctor Death himself. So, which I mean, he didn't do this stuff for free. Yet his van was like a piece of shit volkswagen yeah van vanagon aren't they called vanagons whatever it was and it was all like <clears throat> sketchy as fuck it was sketchy as fuck well you know you know you do kill people in there so yeah but he gets paid to do it like make it nice make it like a hearse <laughs> like a nice decked out hearse yeah i mean that's huh then you can just drop them off i mean it's uh, twofer so that's what today's episode is. I'm going to About tell you. About Dr. Kevorkian? I'm going to tell you the whole story Ooh, of Dr. Exciting. Kevorkian. Let's, let's do it. Yes. So <clears throat> I wanted to start because I found there's a lot of interesting quotes from Dr. Kevorkian that I will refer to, but I'm going to start with one of his quotes. And he says, my aim is in helping patients was not to cause death. My aim was to end suffering. It's got to be decriminalized. So that was one of his quotes from one of his many interviews after he was arrested. So, which is weird because it has been decriminalized, and in many states, uh, physician-assisted euthanasia is a thing, and you can yeah. do that. And I will talk about that at the end of the episode. So yeah, I yeah. honestly I think he got kind of a bad rap. Well, so there are some interesting things because I did look at both sides of the argument. That's as you should. As you should. There's this thing called critical thinking. Maybe yeah. people have heard of it. Being. Um, informed what <laughs> i know actually doing your own research that's what i did all weekend references i do have references <laughs> nice i do have all right references. of course as you should and they're not like you know anti-vaxxer mom facebook 17. i did look at one that was kind of like that <laughs> i did not use it in my references though because i glossed over it and it was very like opinionated rather than evidence-based what so what? but i will refer to it 
you'll see. Let me okay. just get started. All right. Sorry. I'll quit interrupting. Let's, let's go. Let's oh, do feel this. Feel free to interrupt. Oh, I will. <laughs> I know. So, <laughs> so his given name was Murad Jacob, or and then also known as Jack Kevorkian. He was born in Pontiac, Michigan in May 26th. Of, of course he was. Michigan. Michigan. And the last true crime <laughs> when I did was in Grand Rapids, Michigan. What? I know. I have Dude, a Michigan theme. I don't think he should ever live there. I'm just saying. <laughs> Michigan sounds fucked up. Uh, so, that is where Detroit's from. That's true. He did live in the Detroit area. That's where Pontiac is. Um, so anyway, he was born on May 26, 1928 to Armenian, Armenian, Armenian? Arm, I don't know. Um, immigrants. Uh, isn't that what the Kardashians are? I don't know. But anyway, so his parents were immigrants from the Ottoman Empire. It's now present-day Turkey. Um, so he, he started um, questioning his exi- uh, the existence of God when he was about like the age of 12 um, because his parents took him to their orthodox church every week and with the history of his um, mother you know watching and living through that war and watching all this human suffrage and you know he just really questioned a higher power and then yeah so multi-generational trauma yes it's a thing it is a thing turns out um he was kind of a child prodigy very intelligent person. So he had taught himself multiple languages. So this is during World War II time, um, by the time he is a little bit older. And so he taught himself German, Russian, Greek, and Japanese. What? Uh Uh-huh. All right. So I'm just saying, I I took Spanish in college for a whole year, and I've already forgotten it. And so I'm trying to relearn Spanish. It's fucking hard. It's very hard. Japanese is pretty hard, too. Well, and there's uh, like those languages are such different variances mm-hmm. right you got like a romance language then the german one and then mm-hmm. the completely off track with the japanese one like what the well because he was inspired by the war it makes, i mean it makes sense on yeah. the languages that he chose but now, still those are not it's like if when you go from like french to uh italian to spanish it's they're not completely different but when you go from like anything to japanese mm-hmm. or russian completely different yeah well like i said he was very intelligent um and I don't, I didn't, in my research, it didn't say if he was fluent, but he did learn it. So, um, but he, with most people who are pretty intelligent, they tend to be kind of weird. And so he was kind of, um, he <laughs> didn't, he was kind of alienated by his peers. Um, so anyway, so he graduated from Pontiac Central High School with honors in 1945 at the age of 17. And then he went um, to the to U of M, University of Michigan. Initially, he went for engineering, but then he moved on to other disciplines, as most college students do. They change their majors all the time. Of course. Um, and then he eventually did uh, get his medical, medical degree um, in clinical pathology in 1952. So after that, it was the Korean War. So he actually served as a army doctor during the Korean War. This is important to remember. We'll circle back. <laughs> so, <laughs> so after that, he returned. And I think he did a little stint as a pathologist at a, another hospital. And I can't remember right now. It's not important because he does return to U of M for his medical residency. Um, and during that time, this is when he starts to get a little little fascinated, is the word they use, and I say obsessed, with death. Okay. Um, and the act of dying. So um, during this residency, he would often go um, assess terminally 
ill patients and he would take photographs of them during their dying process and particularly around the eyes and focusing on like the fixation of pupils and stuff to really <laughs> pinpoint, no pun intended, uh-huh. uh, of the actual, you know, when death. The moment of death. The moment of death. So when he's taking these pictures and doing all this terminally ill folks, this is like at the time that they're actively dying? Because, you know, you can be terminally ill and be on hospice for a year. Right. So, yeah, this is when they were actively dying and he would take photos. And he he said that he wanted to do that so that physicians knew exactly when it's they're dead and resuscitation is useless, hmm. which is uh, interesting. Yeah, that is interesting because they're still trying to figure that out. Right. And so. it's, I don't think it's in the pupils. Yeah, well, I think like the fixation or something. I don't, anyway, so anyway, so he completed his residency training, um, and then he became a clinical pathologist, um, and then he did some. He dabbled a little bit in research on blood transfusions, which that was you know in the up and up mm-hmm, around that time. Mm-hmm. So over a period of decades, um, he's working as a pathologist, but he had several um, controversial ideas related around death. Weird. <laughs> yeah. Um, he even wrote, he wrote journal articles and, you know, he was pretty prevalent in um, being very outspoken about his ideals. Um, at one point, he wrote in a journal that he proposed that prisoners that were condemned to death um, should be allowed to, by their own free choice, so the prisoner is consenting that their, that medical experimentation should be completed under anesthesia. Um at the time of their appointed um, penalty. So when they're scheduled to be executed, then, and I didn't understand exactly what medical experimentation he's talking about. I don't know, but basically he wanted to be front and center and to be able to do whatever the fuck he wanted to someone as they were Well, he killed. never said it had to be him. He said that, that um, we should utilize, they're going to die anyway, so you might as well utilize it to um, have a better understanding of death in a scientific way. Hmm. So that was his argument, um, which I did listen to a or watch a interview with him. He's a he's a weird dude. So was a weird dude. He's dead now. Really? But. He wanted to go like watch prisoners be killed. And he, you're saying he's weird? <laughs> weird. Well, a lot of people actually watch executions all the time. Yeah, not for medical research. I think that if you're going to watch it, you might as well use it for research instead of like the sick, morbid. I just want to watch someone die. I don't really want to watch that for any reason, so <laughs> I'll hard pass. Anyway, um, of course, the University of Michigan who, um, did not really like that idea of using executed prisoners for <laughs> medical research, oddly enough. Um, well, you know, prisoners are like that vulnerable population, and you can't even use them for research. You can't. Technically. Back then, you could. I guess that wasn't the 50s. This was in 59 yeah. mm-hmm. when that journal article was published. Before we had ethics. Yeah, so they actually were. But, yeah, U of M you was like. probably do whatever you wanted to to a prisoner back then, honestly. May, yeah, probably. But, yeah, U of M was like, nah, bro, you can't be putting our name on that. We have a reputation. Okay. So, <laughs> um, so his, um, his um, colleagues were not, they didn't want nothing to do with him. So this ended, this forced him um to leave the university. Um, so he did return to that idea. So he did kind of like trash that idea because nobody was on board, but he did kind of come back to that um, theory or whatever you want to call it um, back around 
in to 19, research. Yeah, to to try to advocate for it rather. Um, in 1976, when the decision, the Greg versus Georgia case, um, reinstituted the death penalty. So, real quick, the Greg versus Georgia case is a case when um, the court ruled that the death penalty was not a cruel and unusual punishment. So. And so they're like, it's not cruel and unusual. So, you know, we're going to reinstate it, utilizing the death penalty. Yeah. Well, didn't every state have the right to reinstate it? Because there's a lot of states that do death penalties right. and a lot of states that don't. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, based on the state. And this was a state. Um, ah, gotcha. Yeah. Um, so he did advocate for harvesting the organs from inmates after the death penalty was carried out. Mm, that depends on how the death penalty was carried out. You fry somebody in electric chair, I don't think many of their organs are going to be worth this shit. Yeah. Well, in the 70s, I don't think they, I think most were using lethal injection at that point. Hmm. I, I, I didn't research that. This is just me trying to pull that out of my own memory. But I don't know. In the <clears> 70s, it might have still done hangings, honestly. They might, well, in some states, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Like deep south kinds mm-hmm. of stuff. Uh, west. I'm thinking oh, uh, the west. Oh, the wild west, yes. Yeah, public gallows, man. Be... I think some states still have, like, if you rustle cattle, you'd still be hung publicly on the books. Yeah, I don't think anybody does that anywhere, though. I mean, it's a good way to make a living. But anyway, of course, um, people were still not still not very cooperative with that ideal, which I think, I mean, I'm like, they're already dead. Who cares? Like... <laughs> Anyway, do you think their tainted evil organs are going to pass off into somebody else and they're going to become a serial killer? I've seen those horror movies. I've seen those Mm -hmm. horror movies. It's usually with the eyes. Yeah. Um, That. Hmm. So anyway. I don't understand why they can be organ donors. That is a thing. That's that's interesting. Like with some, it depends on what they use for lethal injection. Again, I don't have any idea, but something that potassium chloride is, and they use a must. They use um, a paralytic or barbiturate that is going to like basically sedate them. They don't mm-hmm. know what's happening. And then a muscle relaxer, I believe. And then definitely I know they use potassium chloride to stop the heart. Well, would that ruin the heart? I don't think so. I don't know. Maybe. I have no idea. I don't know either. I'm not a pathologist. But then again, like. Maybe uh, Dr. Kevorkian could tell us if he was still around. Um, yeah, I don't want to talk to him. <laughs> I would love to have a conversation with him. Not while I'm here. Okay, I'm out. I'm out at that point. Uh, I want none of that. I just, I was very fascinated with how his weird brain worked. Anyway, so. I mean, that's fine, but I don't want to talk to anybody after they've died. Oh. Okay. Oh, I see what you're saying. No, no. No, no, and he's dead. And that's why, like, we went to this haunted museum down in Vegas, and they're like, you don't have to come in this room. I'm like, I'm not doing it. I'll stand right here in the hall, thanks. Yeah, there were some, I'm like, listen, they're like, yeah, this spirit doesn't like being put on display. And I'm like, and so you have them on display. Listen, I'm not here to piss off any spirits, okay? No, no, thank you. Anyway, so anyway, um, he continued to work as a pathologist at Pontiac General Hospital. And then around this time, he was also experimenting with transfusing blood from recently deceased patients to living people. Where was he getting this blood? From dead people. From what, like, I don't know. It's just dead, dead people blood. I didn't. I, I, I understand that it's dead people blood, but I'm just like, he just like snuck into a room after someone died. I'm like, hey, I'm just stealing some of your blood, bro. It's fine. Um, Did those people give consent to have their don- their organs donated? Because blood is an organ. Okay. I don't know. Hmm. <laughs> so, hmm. And how about the people who consented to get the blood? Again, I don't know. I'm okay. just telling I'm just, you stuff. That's fine. I'm just, I'm just questioning now. <laughs> Again, critical thinking skills, right? Um, huh. 
Well, and he was doing this, it was all experimental um, because he wanted to present the idea to the U.S. military to use this for wounded soldiers in battle. That which, makes sense. I mean, it does make right? sense. Right? You got all these dead bodies hanging around. You might as well use them. They don't Put need it. They, they don't need it. They don't and they're need just, it. And it's going into the dirt and foreign yeah. soil. Indeed it is. But, you know, also, anyway. The, anyway, yeah, because you can't carry around blood in your med pack. So for your for your peeps that get blown no. up, shot up or whatever. I mean, they didn't have camelbacks then. Cam- oh, my God. Camelbacks <laughs> full of like fresh frozen plasma. <laughs> uh, yeah. Whole blood. Just like pump it right in. Take a nice little sip of this. You'll feel so much better. Oh, my God. Anyway, so um, again, he's not making a lot of friends. <laughs> Weird. I know. So people are not into it. So then um, and the Pentagon was like, bro, no, we're no, we're not now. Just no. And so this um, this weird shit did not make him a popular colleague. Nobody likes him. Nobody wants to play with him. So he decides he's going to retire early in the 1980s. Well, again, creepy. Creepy yeah. vibe. It, it's, he does have creep vibes. Right. He probably had like Asperger's. It was on the spectrum somewhere. Yeah. So um, in his retirement, this is a fun fact. I did not know this about him. There's a lot I didn't know. But th- especially this. He worked as a jazz musician and composer. He, yeah. Yeah, he even released a CD in the 90s. What? Yeah, he Sorry, did. my brain is just like trying <laughs> to catch up with this conversation now. Like, composer? Uh-huh. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he did. Yeah, he made some jazz music. Um, and I think he did some other artsy-fartsy stuff, like, you know, drawing or whatever. But, you know. But Yeah, this... didn't we see his drawings? Didn't he have, like... Yeah, he did art... have drawings. Yeah. Like, he made a bunch of, like, paintings and shit mm-hmm. when he was in prison, too. He did. Weird fucking paintings well because he is a weird dude well this did not satisfy him for much time because he did in um his interest in euthanasia kind of resurfaced um after he visited the netherlands and in the netherlands um euthanasia is a thing is a thing for terminally ill patients right and so um this really piqued his interest um so he began writing again, um, more, of course, about medicine in the terms of euthanasia. Um, and he wanted to coin the term using euthanasia rather than physician-assisted suicide or assisted suicide, um, mainly because he was saying, you know, euthanasia is a service that you provide people, a treatment, basically. Right. Well, and that's what we do to animals. And that's what we, we do. Yeah. When we take our poor puppy in, we don't call it veterinarian assisted murder or suicide Suicide, yeah we call it euthanasia yeah so um so he began to start writing more and becoming more vocal about euthanasia um and then in this time he created a machine that he called the thanatron so and i'll get to that in a second so so that's good because i have many many questions about that but i'll I'll hold them yes (laughs) so um, he then started, he coined himself as a death counselor. So he started death counseling. Isn't like the death council something in Star Wars? Like, sounds the, like, I don't know. It sounds know. weird. Okay. Anyway. Well, so he alleged, allegedly, he's, um, he started to put together a, this euthanasia machine or device, um, that he built himself and he got like all this weird tinkering shit from like flea markets and all this stuff. And he just, you know, rigged it himself. Um, 
And so how he designed it, and this is the Thanatron that I'm explaining. Mm -hmm. um, this is basically it's set up that it's going to deliver the lethal injection of medications that the patient will press themselves. So they are doing it. He's setting it all up and giving them the appropriate amount of things, but they themselves are hitting the button. So they are committing suicide, essentially, um, in the eyes of the law, right? Did you... So, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> so... Um, that device, and oh, and I didn't, and I didn't clarify the medications were delivered intravenously or inside of a vein, and so um, this is called the Thanatron. That was the Thanatron machine, or death machine was the other name for it, and he coined the term Thanatron because it's from the Greek word uh, Thanatos, which means death, and I guess Tron is machine. I don't know. Sure. So. <laughs> And, that makes sense, I guess. Yeah. Right? So the medications that were in there was um, going to be like a rapid onset barbiturate for a general anesthetic and then a lethal dose of the potassium chloride to stop the heart. Um, another device that he used was um, called the Mercitron or the Mercy, Mercy machine. And that was the one that he would use um, a face mask that would feed carbon monoxide into the patient. And for those who don't know, carbon monoxide is going to kill you. Yes, yes it, it will. And you usually, if I recall correctly, carbon monoxide poisoning, you just basically fall asleep and then asphyxiate. Yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, that's it's painless, right? It's yeah. just like you get kind of sleepy, kind of like hypothermia, I guess. You get sleepy mm -hmm. and then you fall asleep and then you don't wake up. Yeah. Which is how it kills in your house. Yep. That's why, everybody, you need to get a carbon monoxide detector in your homes. Public service announcement. The more you know. Yeah. See the rainbow with the star. I don't mm -hmm. know. That's how old you I are. mean, that's so sad, too, because then you hear about, like, whole families dying. Yeah, like, they're all, yeah, it's Like, sad. whole families, mm -hmm. and it's super sad. So it is important. Um, so anyway, um, so that, those were his machines that he made <laughs> that went into his little Volkswagen beat up ass van okay <laughs> okay that he went and bought for like i think i think i read and i can't remember i didn't write it down in my notes but i think he bought the van for like 75 bucks it was a whoopty it was a whoopty if i've ever seen a whoopty van that was a whoopty yeah so basically um yeah it's a it was a 1968 volkswagen van and he would park it in the campground near his near his home in michigan so <laughs> but Anyway, so in 1987, this is when he started advertising in the Detroit newspaper as a physician consultant for death counseling. Okay. All right. I can see that. I mean, I, I mean, basically, that's what a hospice doctor is. No, I'm 100%. That's, I got it. That's and how. A death counselor. So anytime you think counselor, you think of someone. So anytime you think counselor, you think of someone who uh, helps you make those decisions and helps you through the process. So it's mm -hmm. not scary for one because people are terrified when especially when they get the news that it's terminal and there's no hope right mm -hmm. so i i like that actually. yeah i mean maybe not death maybe like i don't know oh, sorry i hit my mic <laughs> <laughs> i punched it uh, punch it in the face yeah so in night so i like i said in 1987 he started advertising in the newspaper and you know he's not saying in the newspaper he's killing them he's just a death He's consulting, like death counseling, co consulting. It's kind of like counseling, you, <laughs> counseling, consulting, whatever. 
when you make a baby plan too. Yeah. Like a birthing plan. A birthing safety plan. Safety plan. He's making a, a death, death plan. plan. Yeah. It makes sense. It does. So his first um, public assisted suicide. So the first one that we all know about um, is going to be, her name was Janet Atkins. And she was a 54-year-old woman and she was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. At 54? Yeah, she oh, had early brutal. onset. Oh, our early brutal. onset, and um, she was diagnosed in 1989. Um, so she actually reached out to him, and she she asked. She did not want to be a burden. She obviously was in the early stages, but she did not want to end up how you end up with Alzheimer's. Yeah, it's not pretty. So for everybody who know who may or may not know about Alzheimer's, Alzheimer's is a slow-moving disease where it basically just you basically your brain turns into Swiss cheese. Okay. Yeah. And um, there's no stopping it. Mm-mm. You'll start to forget things. Then you'll start you know not knowing who anybody is, where you are. It gets really scary until eventually you die, and it takes up to like oh shoot sometimes up to seven years seven. is like average from diagnosis to death and at the at the end of alzheimer's is the worst because you just basically go into like a vegetative state and you yeah. have no and unfortunately no one knows actually what's going on inside the brain but like outside you're just like nothing nothing yeah and so it's not i would imagine not a good death so and she didn't want that. And she didn't want her family to have to take care of her or be a burden to her family. Right. Which... And she would have been in like either her family would have been taking care of her or she would have been sent to a home in right. the, what, mid-90s. They they weren't good places back then. I mean, they're not like super awesome posh places now, but they definitely weren't Mm-mm. good then. Um, so he did um, meet with her and he did end her life in the bed that's inside of that 68 Volkswagen. Um, <laughs> not the good kind of shagging wagon. No, definitely not. Um, and then he, so when he did these euthanasia, um, he would make sure that there was no family around so they would not be like ex- accessories to a crime. Well, plus not everybody wants to watch their loved no. one kill themselves, now, basically. Now, almost all of his patients were brought in with family. The family brought them. And so, but he, whether they wanted to be there or not, I don't know. But I know that he, because for their own legal safety, he had to have them leave. Hmm. Yeah. So. Which, uh, which is, a oh, man, see that legally then that gets a little sticky because if you know you're doing something wrong mm-hmm. and then you continue to do it, right? I right. Mean, whether it's good, bad, or indifferent, that's that's legally, that's a sticky wicket. Yeah. So anyway, he, so she, she died and then he called police and I don't know why. I don't know why. Maybe it's like, hey, I have this body now. Somebody has to come pick it up. I don't know. I don't know. Well, if it wasn't documented, it wasn't done. Yeah. Um. And then, so, and probably, you know, so you couldn't take him to the hospital because then they'd revive him. <laughs> Wouldn't that be fucked up? Yeah, I don't think they would be able to revive her after that. But I don't know. All you gotta do is reverse that potassium chloride, and then uh, that if if you're asystole, which that asystole's no heart movement, I don't think you're coming back. I don't know. Isn't that what CPR is all about? Well, he didn't start a CPR, so yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, like dropped her off at the hospital, they would start CPR. Yeah, but it would be like at least a half hour after the fact. Mm, uh, maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway. Still, that causes a lot of damage to bodies, too. 
We're only on page two out of eight. Oh, well, fuck, dude. Okay, sorry. I'll (laughs) shut up. Jesus. This is not a debate. I'm just telling you what happened, okay? So (laughs) I'm... I'm just, I'm, I'm here for the peanut gallery to make the questions, okay? So anyway, so he did, and he was arrested. We can always have a part two, okay? We can have a part two, it's fine. He was arrested because he called the police? Yes. And then they arrested him also, okay. All right, that seems weird, but whatever. go on. Okay, so he was arrested, but he was only briefly detained. There is no laws about, because he didn't do it. She pressed the button. So he didn't do it. So there's no laws really mm-hmm. that they could pin him down with. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, so the charges um, for because he they were going to charge him with murder, but they were dropped in 1990 because um, there was no laws in Michigan regarding assisted suicide. However, in 91, the state of Michigan revoked his medical license. They're like, well, we can't really get you for anything, but we're going to take your license away at least. So. But what's interesting is that, yeah, he got arrested and everything and blah, blah. But um, Janet's family actually publicly thanked him for ending ending her suffering and carrying out her wishes. I mean, it'd be a hard thing to decide to do that for your family. But if that's what your family member wanted and there was actually no hope, right? Like mm-hmm. it's terminal. That's that's yeah. it. I don't think that's a bad thing. So and we will get to the terminal um, argument side of it later in in the thing in the story Mm -hmm. but yeah keep that in mind so um so anyway um so he can't practice medicine or work with patients they took his license away in 91 so but that didn't stop him he kept going so he basically (laughs) because he was like well that law's stupid and i'm gonna keep doing it so (laughs) well how did how did he get the drugs i have no idea okay because like if you don't have a medical (laughs) license how do anybody get drugs well, this you said barbiturate. Yeah, those a are not hard relaxer. to get. Those are not hard to get. And potassium chloride. That's probably not that hard to get out of a I've, hospital. I've never tried to get potassium chloride because nobody tracks it as potassium chloride. That's true. But all the other drugs, it's Detroit. <laughs> uh, you can just go to Mexico or Canada. A lot of that shit's or over go the to Detroit. It's closer than Mexico. Eh, it's more expensive than Mexico. It's Detroit. It's not that expensive, I promise. So Yeah, but I don't want, like, Joe Blow Dirt, Joe Dirt. What does it matter? Is it going to kill them? It, <laughs> it might not kill them. That's the problem. Either way, Joker Doc, we need to stay on course. It doesn't fucking matter. Ah, <laughs> uh, fine. Okay, fine. so he, do you know how many patients he assisted? So in there wasn't in the museum that it said that there was like he got convicted or whatever of 16, but he actually did over 200 or something. He had about a little bit over 130 patients, which is still quite a bit. Yeah. Well, you know, that's a lot of that's a lot of murders. It is. It's a little yeah. murdery. Um, and this was between this time frame of 1990 to 1998 when he was arrested again. Um so of all of these, that's allegedly. Like more than, that's like 1.2 a month. Yeah. Well. Roughly. Yeah. I guess that would be right. So um, allegedly in each of these cases, except for one, all of the individuals themselves initiated the injection or the gas or whatever. Mm. 
they did it. He just set it up and he made sure that it was going to be carried out. Right. That they weren't going to end up with like liver failure or on dialysis because their kidneys are all. Yeah. Up or now. like, you know, permanent brain damage mm-hmm. or what have you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. That's that'd be a hard thing to do, though. Mm-hmm. Like as a patient, like hitting the button yourself. Well, you know, and I think it's it's really hard to conceive that idea because most of us who are discussing it or listening are of good health. That's true. But if you know you're going to slowly start to lose your mind and control of your body and then just die a really slow, painful death, I think maybe that is scarier than actually dying quickly and peacefully. That is true. But again, I have fortunately never had to be in that position, so I couldn't say one way or the other. But that's kind of how, like, I try to look at it. So the Detroit Free Press um, stated that so this is after so i'm kind of jumping ahead a little bit because in this section i kind of want to bring up like during this time people were like okay well is he a murderer or is or crazy person or is he a good samaritan a good samaritan so the a lot of people were not all about this a lot of people were actually very much against him so the detroit free press um stated that 60 percent of their patient of his patients who died which i'm like all of them died so (laughs) (laughs) um um they were not terminally ill, and at least 13 had not complained of pain. So, and I made a personal note in here, and I was like, okay, you, the definition of being terminally ill is kind of subject, like, it's not subjective, but like, okay, one of his patients that we'll talk about had MS. No, it is subjective, though. Yeah, because MS, it's like, okay, it's not technically terminal, but it's a progressive disease, Right. Well, I mean, Alzheimer's, again, like we just said, it takes anywhere between like seven to 14 years. Yeah. So that's not considered terminal. Not at that stage. No, it's not. And for like insurance purposes, I think in order to be put on hospice, you have to have a prognosis of less than 12 months to live. Yeah. And so um, I read in some places it said six months, too. So to be qualified for hospice right. or be terminally ill, well, which and it's like death doesn't have a fucking time frame. No, no, it doesn't. And let's say that you have cancer. Let's say you have some really bad type of cancer that you know is going to kill you and that there is no cure for, but you don't know how long it's going to take. Exactly. And so that was my one thing. And then they're like, oh, and and a lot of them didn't complain of pain. I'm like, well, mm-hmm. you don't have to be in pain to, to no. be terminally ill and you're no, going to no, die. You don't. With Alzheimer's, there's not a whole lot of pain associated with Neither it. Neither is there with brain cancer. Right. So it's like, what the fuck? So that was my little side note on there. And then the report further asserted that Kevorkian's counseling was too brief. So he's basically only meeting them. Um, and then 24 hours later, he's like, they're Ready in the back of go. his van. Yeah. <laughs> they're in the back of his van. That sounds, <laughs> so, that sounds even worse than yeah. it is, I think. Um, they also went on to say that he lacked um, psychiatric exams in at least 19 cases, five of which involved people with histories of depression, though Kevorkian was sometimes alerted that the patient was unhappy for reasons other than their medical conditions. Also, I put in a side note. I'm like, weird. Other people are just fucking depressed for other shit because that's kind of what humans do. They have, what? Yeah, depression. What? Um, on the other side, like even if you – let's say that you've been depressed for like – 20 years Mm -hmm. right and nothing's worked do you have the right to kill yourself at that point in time well we'll talk about that so um and then if the the report from detroit free press continued on by saying that um kevorkian failed to refer at least 17 patients to pain specialists after they complained of chronic pain and sometimes failed to obtain 
a complete medical record for his patients with at least three autopsies of the suicides um, showing that the person who committed the suicide had no physical sign of disease. Again, in Alzheimer's, you don't have a lot of physical signs of Alzheimer's unless you slice their brain up and you can actually see some of the lesions and some of the degeneration of the matter. But for the most part, it's like... You're Same with a lot of the like like MS type MS. stuff. That's all in your, your uh, central nervous system. There's no... Right. And so I'm not saying that they're totally wrong, but I'm just pointing out like that is a very black and white view of it mm-hmm. as opposed to looking at, well, do you know the pathophysiology of these diseases? Well, you know, and then I'm going to say on the other point, like he might have done very thorough psychiatric assessments. He just might have been a shitty documenter. He, I mean, if it wasn't documented, it wasn't done. Well, we'll get to that. So, <laughs> we'll, so, but, and so that was like their big thing. And this is after he's being convicted for the, the big, shabam that we'll get to mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. really locked that the final his final that patient the uh final nail in coffin, coffin or yeah. in his term of final taking him out to the van yeah down by the river <laughs> there's no river <laughs> no, no, no. um maybe the river sticks that you have to cross over to go into you know the underworld so the so the detroit free press used to to continue off of what they said about you know no physical sign of disease they um actually used one of his patients, um, Rebecca Badger, and she was a patient of Kevorkian's. And she had, um, she was a mentally troubled drug abuser, as they put it, and then um, had been mistakenly diagnosed with multiple sclerosis or MS, which by the way, sorry, everybody, we kept saying MS, but we didn't explain what that was. Oh, yeah. So yes, and multiple uh, sclerosis is a disease that attacks your central nervous system. And it can have periods of exacerbation, which means it's like flared up essentially where they lose a lot of function. Like um, bowel and bladder and walking, yeah. can't feed yourself, can't walk, yeah. can't do nothing. Can't do nothing. And then it will go into like a remission phase where mm-hmm. they're totally just fine. But the thing is with MS, it is a slow progressive, which means mm-hmm. it's only going to keep getting worse. It gets worse in frequency and intensity. Yeah, until finally you die from that disease. So anyway, so, and they said she was mistakenly diagnosed with MS. I don't know how they could have told the difference after she was dead, but again, I don't know. This was just their report and Hmm. yeah. So, but on the flip side, here are some letters from his patients and I have the actual quotes from there. One of them says, uh, end quote, dear Dr. Kevorkian, help and helps in all caps. I am a 41 year old victim of MS. I can no longer take care of myself. Being of sound mind, I wish to end my life peacefully. I know I will only get worse. Please help me, Sherry Miller. That was one of his patients. And here's another one. And um, I'll, Jugger Dark, I'm just going to show you. Look at how nice and professional that letter That's is. That's extremely professional. Very professional letter. Um, this is a letter from Denise, I think it's Kieran. Kieran? Kieran, I'm sorry if I said it wrong. um, But it says, Dear Dr. Kevorkian, I'm 42 years old. I have MS. Will you help me? My MS is chronic progressive. So chronic progressive means that when we mention it's, you know, it slowly just gets more intense. Um, This means that it is chronically or 
constantly getting worse without many periods of remission or if none at all. So this Mm -hmm. is a really bad stage of MS. Um, And I was diagnosed almost 11 years ago. So that's a pretty, that's a long time with Mm -hmm. having MS. Over the years, I have done everything from bee stings to chemotherapy. I'm in constant unbearable pain. The only relief from it is when I get some sleep. Currently, I take muscle relaxers, painkillers, antidepressants, and sleeping pills. During the day, I also do glasses of Metamucil, which I didn't know why Metamucil was added in there because that's to help you poop. So <laughs> I don't know why. I, I I know that it messes with your bowel and bladder. Yeah. MS, so. so maybe just because that way she'll get like ridiculously constipated and have Prob- a small bowel obstruction. Probably. Um, I don't know what else I should uh, also tell you about myself. I am married to the most wonderful, supportive man in the world. My husband's name is Harry. I am a retired partner of a CPA firm. My mind is fine, but my body will not cooperate with it. I spend so much time lying in pain, crying because I, I'm so uncomfortable, hardly at times being able to move. I would like to talk with you about how I feel. I don't want to live like this. Every day that goes by, I continue to deteriorate. This has been a very slow death for me. Please help me. Call me collect, which I'm like, oh, yeah, you can tell that's <laughs> wow, from the 90s. That's... And of course, I'm not going to say the phone number. Old school. And she signed it. And um, yeah, so that was mm-hmm. another one letter from his patients, and he got tons. And then many family members also sent him letters to thank him. After the fact. After the fact. Um, in fact, some of them invited him into family functions, like family reunions. Well, he has you know, it's photos hard to watch your loved ones die. Yeah. You know? And like watch them die painfully and with no dignity. There's no dignity None. in dying Mm-mm. covered in your own shit. No, it happens. Just totally emaciated, you know. So um, anyway, so family members all um, would also try to um, offer to pay some of his legal bills while he was going to court for the <laughs> for the big one that we'll uh-huh, talk about. Uh-huh. Um, and then they also promised to help advocate for um, Metacide which was another name for euthanasia, metacide. Um, so he had a lot of support from the family members, which I think that says a lot, you know, because all the people who are opposing him are people out, outside. Well, I mean, it says a lot because he probably was very selective on who he chose to I don't know help. about, I don't know. I don't know at all if if he turned anybody away or not. It didn't sound like it because it sounded like the people who, reached out to him were you know genuinely they're going to die no i bet i bet he did turn people away because yeah. i bet more people than just a hundred and what do you say 130 something over eight years i bet more people than that reached yeah, out. yeah that's true too i don't know i did not look that up though i bet yeah yeah because so this is just my thought process is that you're going to get also letters from people who are straight depressed with suicidal ideation asking for help too mm-hmm. yeah that's true i did read some statistics and Basically, the median age for his patients were primarily um, around the age of 52, which, which makes pretty sense. Young. It is very young, but it's it makes sense because it's the people who are completely with it that are like, fuck, I do not want to go out like this. Right. You know? Yeah. And it sounded like a lot of these diseases are these chronic progressive mm-hmm. diseases. So we have... Um, you know, multiple sclerosis, Alzheimer's were the big ones that I read, some cancers, and then um, ALS, 
or mm-hmm. com- Lou Gehrig's yeah, disease. Yeah, the most commonly known as Lou Gehrig's disease. I can't remember what ALS stands for. Um, I I think I have it in my notes somewhere, but I don't. I, like That's as fine. you can see, I have a lot of notes. <laughs> okay, so. So uh, we're at like 47 minutes. Do you want to stop here and pick it up next time or you want to just keep going? Let's You're just not... keep going. Okay. All right. Let's do it. Okay. So this next section is trials in prison. So this, we're going to talk about what got him in big trouble. Okay. Um, overall, he had been tried about four times for assisting suicides between uh, 94 to 97. Um, but he's been acquitted because they didn't really have much to hold him on. Well, it wasn't a law then. Yeah. I mean, I remember some of this stuff. I was a teenager, but mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I was there. And and so the fourth trial ended in a mistrial. And yeah, I don't I don't know why. Um, so what I got a lot of this information from um, the 60 Minutes episode that I watched um, because what really got him was when he did his final euthanasia for a patient by the name of Thomas Yoke. I think I said that right. I hope I said that right. It's Y-O-U-K, Yoke. Sure. Okay. If I said that wrong, I'm so sorry. Don't haunt me. Um, it could be Yoke. Yoke. Oh, yeah, it could be Yoke. Um, so what happened was, so Tom, he went by Tom, actually contacted Kevorkian, um, because he had, he was in the final stages of Lou Gehrig's disease. Um, and so this is it back in 1998. So he was a perfectly good sound of mind because he actually videotaped everything, his encounter with Tom and Tom consenting and actually has the video of him administering himself. So Dr. Oh, Kevorkian, fascinating. Dr. Kevorkian administered the medication to Tom. Because isn't it was that Tom, like his body was so broken that he couldn't actually push the button? Wasn't so there something like I don't that? think that's what it was because oh. Tom was able to, well, perhaps, but Tom was um able to sign his name twice for this Mm. and i and i and at first when kevorkian said in the 60 minutes um interview he's like yeah he signed it and i paused it and i was starting to make notes like this is bullshit because if this guy couldn't even press a button then he definitely couldn't sign Mm -hmm, his damn name mm -hmm. but then i watched it and tom signed it it probably was a shitty signature but he signed it nonetheless so what happened was so um it was really sad because tom was only 52 he was very young. He was in his 50s. And he, um, you know, had a wife. He was very active. And, yeah, he got Lou Gehrig's disease. And as for those who don't know how this disease progresses, it's a neuromuscular disease. And so, basically, you just lose all your ability, um, muscle skill, like, through the muscles. Like, you become paralyzed. You have no use of your legs and then no use of your arms. And then you, you know, probably lose all your bowel function and bladder Mm -hmm. and then eventually respiratory respiratory and tom and kevorkian stated that tom's greatest fear was to actually choke um on his own spit he was like he was aspirating or choking Mm -hmm. on his own spit and he was terrified to die that way that would yeah and i can't say i blame him i totally get that so 
anyway, so uh, he act, what he did was, so he actually met with Tom and he actually sat down with him, explained to him what he wanted to do. And this is when Convorkian told him, you know, I really, I just want to administer the medication myself and have it physician-assisted euthanasia rather than assisted suicide. And Kevorkian stated in the interview, um, Tom was a little apprehensive about that because he was like, well, you know, he thought he was going to be a part of assisted suicide, not a doctor killing him. But then Kevorkian explained to him, like, you know, I'm doing this because we need to make basically a big boom to get people to notice so this can be legalized for people. And so, and you're, and he, he agreed to it. And I watched in the video, so they played the video in the, in the interview from 60 Minutes of him talking to Tom and Tom, you know, saying, I want to do this, I want to do this. And Kevorkian's actually explaining all of it to him and then having him sign, you know, a consent form, essentially. And then Kevorkian even... Um, offered for him to wait a month before they actually did it to, for him to reconsider. And so Kevorkian's like, well, I want to revisit this. And he, how about in a month? And Tom was like, no, I'm not going to wait a month. And he was like, okay, well, what about like three weeks or two weeks? And Tom was like, no, I'm not waiting that long. And so Kevorkian's like, well, I have to do at least a week. And so um, Tom agreed for a week. And he in, in the video, you're watching him like nodding, like, okay, I'll wait a week. Um, and so, uh, according to the interview, Tom's brother called Kevorkian the following night saying he, he wants to do this right now. He doesn't want to wait a week. He wants it right now. So well, you can't understand, like if you waited a week cause you knew you were going to die, like that would start weighing on you really bad. So you're like, I just got to do it. Like should or get off the pot. Right. right? I get that. Yeah, for sure. And then I, and Kevorkian theorized that, you know, probably he was still choking and still so scared of dying that way. And and probably like that, like, I just want to get this over with. And mm-hmm. it seemed like that's what he really wanted to do. And I watched the video um, or the, you know, recording and the dude didn't, he didn't look scared or, I mean, it's hard to say he has ALS, but, you know, you, sometimes you can look at people and they look really nervous and stuff. Mm-hmm. He was just like, just like in his wheelchair, like, let's do this. Let's do this. Hmm. So Kevorkian went to their home and, every, and he had to have everybody leave so they wouldn't be accessories to murder. Except him. Except him. You know? And Kevorkian, he, he even said, I know I did this on purpose. I wanted to get arrested. Hmm. Cause, so did you do any research on how much of it? Because like I said, I know, in, I know at least in like five states it's legal. I, like have, I have the research, yeah. Okay, so yeah. like how much of it was actually spearheaded by you'll see okay all right I'm, i'll wait <laughs> i guess so so kevorkian came into the home he started the iv and then that's when he again explained to tom what's going to happen how he's going to do it he's going to videotape it and all this stuff he explained it again and then asking are you sure this is what you want to do and tom said yes and then kevorkian made him sign again sign a consent again so he was pretty thorough in this way um to make sure that it was very well documented that he, and he even said, I am not, you're of sound mind. I am not coercing you. You're not under duress. 
Well, again, yeah. he wants to be noted as a physician-assisted suicide or euthanasia rather than a serial killer. Exactly. He wanted, he was very, like, when I saw him explaining it, it's just like I've seen doctors explain procedures. Right, at surgery the, procedures, yep. medication, whatever. Mm-hmm. They go through all the... And he did hit all the legal points, like, you're not under <laughs> duress. Right. I am not... Coercing you. Yep. You're of sound mind. Yep. You're not on drugs. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, and that was, you know, again... That was some of the arguments with people like, all oh, these people are under like influences of pain medications and blah blah blah, and, and I'm and I'm like, well, it's not because like they're can, in chronic pain. <laughs> you, you can't just take them off all their freaking pills, lady. <laughs> yeah, then they'll be under duress. Calm down, Polly. <laughs> Calm down, Polly. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, and then and he said, okay, and I watched this and it was very fascinating because yeah, he started the IV in his right hand. He's talking it out the entire time. I am inserting the catheter into his right hand and then he and i watched him and he started with um it's a barbit it's a muscle relax oh no it was a barbiturate and i put my notes it's a cinnol cinnol I, I, I didn't. I didn't. Phenobarbital. That's the only barbiturate. I, that I'm really I think it was something with. of that class because i didn't recognize the name when they said it hmm. and um but then who i who uses like, barbiturates anymore Unless you're going in for surgery. Yeah, well, he's going under some kind of, <laughs> he's going under a big procedure. So like, so, and then he, and mind you, Kevorkian's watching this video again with the interviewer and explaining everything. And he's, and he's like, yeah, and this is when I gave the barbiturate to put him in a sedative state so he wouldn't know what's going on. And then you see Tom, you know, he is sedated. His head, you know, drops down. Then he administers a muscle relaxant um, to paralyze his respirations. He didn't say what medication it was. And then, and I'm watching and I see, yeah, he's not, his breathing's getting a little hinky. Um, And then, and then like Tom's head kind of rolls back a little bit and Kevorkian's like, this is the point where his body is oxygen deprived and this is what happens. And then you see Kevorkian, he's like, it had to be very quick at this point because you see him quickly reach over and get another syringe and push. And it was the, and he said there was the potassium chloride to stop the heart. So this whole thing took less than like a minute. The guy died in under a minute. I think, I think that's faster than what lethal injection is, honestly. Yeah, it was really fast. Maybe it was like a minute or two. Like still, it was really fast. fast. That was super fast. Um, so yeah, and so it was, it was fascinating. And they're like, "Yep," and now he's dead. And so the family. So and I'm watching all these people being interviewed for Mm -hmm. this, right? And so the family was interviewed. His wife specifically, and the wife said something very great she said tom was very private he didn't really want to be a poster boy for this he he, you know he didn't really want that but it 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 needs to be it needs to be said and it needs to be made aware of and needs to be publicized it does because she said um it shouldn't be such an issue for a person to be in control of their own life and death I would agree, hundred percent. And that's and she was very upset. Obviously, she didn't want to lose her husband, but he was going to die anyway. Yeah, and, I get that. You know, and he, you know, if you see pictures or watch the video of him, he was very emaciated, and he was in the end stages. It's not like it's going to end well, right? You know, no. So definitely not. Doesn't and, end with dignity, that's for sure. Definitely not with any dignity. And then so they brought in another guy. His name was Dr. Mark uh, Strigler, and he was a director of medical ethics at the University of Chicago. And mm. I know I put a lot of emphasis in ethics because it's fucking stupid. 
Ethics is just subjective. It is subjective because this motherfucker. Oh, this fucking guy, huh? This this fool. Fool. Okay. All right. He was. Hit he, me. He's such a fool because he's watching the video. And he's so appalled of watching this, watching Tom die. He was appalled by it. He said, and he said it was a spectacle. And he said, I even put in my notes, this fool stated. (laughs) (laughs) It's right there, too. So you got to, I mean, I, and I don't want to diss on any religions, but I think religion plays a lot into this, right? Oh, very much so. Like, there's some religions where you preserve life regardless. Yeah, which is fucking ridiculous. Like, you know, you go straight to hell if you commit suicide, do not pass go, do not collect $200. Yeah. So it's it's the same people who want to be like, you know, I know your baby was conceived during a rape, but it's still a life. Let's preserve it. Right. Yeah. So what this idiot said is that um, idiot. <laughs> <laughs> well, in regards to because like the interviewer was like, well, he was terminal and he's uh-huh. dying and not in a good way. And so this fucking idiot said, well, we can do better and said we can do better in making patients more comfortable in their dying process. Well, mm. um, Dr. Dumbass, I implore you. Um, how would you feel? How would you feel if that was you? Well, I was going to say, isn't that exactly what Dr. Kevorkian did? Yeah. Yeah. Make it better? Yeah. I mean. Yeah. I was like, I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? And then he argued that um, physician-assisted suicide could be abused in the sense of basically family members getting rid of burdens, you know, like. I would agree with that. I would 110%. I would agree with that as well. Burdens in quotes. You, didn't, yeah. you guys you didn't see the quotes that Poison yeah. Ivy put up there when she said a burden. Yeah. And it said that it could be abused by patients with health disparities and, you know, so people who have um, cognitive disorders or whatever that can't really make their own decisions. Mm. No, totally. I get that. However, I'm also like, okay. And then Kevorkian even said to that, he's like, well, that's why you have to have a physician saying, yes, no, they are really going to die. Right, and if not, have a two-step process with two physicians. And we'll get to that when we talk about where it is legal. You have to have two physicians. Oh, weird. weird. Yeah. See, I got really fired up by this guy because, (laughs) but that's my thing. I'm like, you idiot. First of all, how do you know what it's like to die? Have you ever been there? (laughs) Obviously not. Yeah, and I bet you... The people who have such a strong opinion about this never watched people die a horrible death. Because no. I have. Yeah, I've no, I don't no. I worked hospice for a while and like I was on call all the time. And unfortunately every goddamn time I was on call, someone died. Every time. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, I've watched a number of people die. Yeah, I've watched people suffocate to death. Mm-hmm. I've watched people drown in their own fluids. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like yeah, that's not with dignity. You will not do better, Dr. Dumbass, okay? Mm-mm. You won't do better because you can't take that pain away unless they're dead. That's true. They will suffer no matter what you do. So he's true. a fucking idiot. I'm like, I just, it made me so angry. We can do better. You shithead. Anyway, so moving on. So in November 25th, 1998, going back to when he helped Tom go over the rainbow, <laughs> Okay. <laughs> end his suffering mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um he was charged with second degree murder with the and the delivery of controlled substances because remember he, he doesn't, doesn't have a he doesn't have a license and a barbiturate mm-hmm. and muscle relaxer i almost think i wonder if you could buy sodium chloride over the counter i don't know like it's literally just sodium it's, chloride it's the 90s who knows you can get anything over the counter i can get a lot of things at a vet's office over the counter that's very true 
So anyway, so on March 26, 1999, a jury began deliberations for first-degree murder uh, trial for Kevorkian. Um, this is the part where I'm kind of like, oh, Kevorkian, you kind of are fit in a profile now. He discharged his attorneys and proceeded through the trial representing himself. Oh, come on. I know. All serial killers do that, too. Yeah, they do. I know. Because they think they're smarter than everyone else. Yeah, because he's a narcissist. I'm sorry. Kevorkian was a total narcissist. Uh, I mean, he probably was. It doesn't mean he didn't do some okay stuff. Yeah. So um, (laughs) the judge ordered for a criminal defense attorney to remain with him as as standby counsel because he was doing a terrible job. Get out. Yeah. You mean someone without lawyer training can't be a lawyer? A lawyer. A lawyer? Because it's about the law. Not about (laughs) medicine, Jack. (laughs) Get your shit together. Yeah, seriously. Um, yeah, he did a terrible job. <laughs> so the the judge was like, no. Mm-mm. No, he was not. Good for the judge, actually. Like, way to go, buddy. Well, you know. So this was only a two-day trial. And the Michigan jury found Kevorkian guilty of second-degree homicide. Um, Which is weird that it's not first-degree. So my understanding, first-degree is like planned out. Yeah, it is planned this out. This was explicitly planned out yeah and usually um and this was like the last true crime i did it's usually like yeah if you're gonna cooperate we'll knock it down to a second degree mm. doesn't matter that mm. it's like totally not a second degree but like okay that's fair yeah maybe, maybe that was what it was okay yeah um so the judge her name was jessica cooper and she sentenced him to serve 10 to 25 years in prison and i had a quote from her and it's lengthy and yeah, but I will just summarize what she said to him. Paraphrase it. So she basically said, it doesn't matter if you think the law is right or wrong. That's not your position to decide. You're not a lawmaker. You that are a phys- You were a physician. You right. had your license taken because you took the law in your own hands and true. did not do this in the right way. You should have lobbied for this in the right way instead of being so radical. But what I would argue with... So far, I... I concur with her completely. I concur with her but one thing I would argue with Judge Cooper is um, yeah well Judge you know how long that shit fucking takes um, we're now in 2023 and there's only like a handful of states that still legalize it and it took years to get it done all facts yeah so Bad I'm kind of like okay Judge Cooper calm down with your high horse of justice um, we all know how <laughs> fucked up the justice system is about as fucked up as a medical system. That is also true. Mm-hmm. So she's totally right. But also, I'm like, come on. I can kind of see why he did what he did, too. Yeah, no, I can see it. But she's right. She is right. And he did get convicted of murder. So he did. she's obviously right. <laughs> yeah. So he did. Because um... <laughs> I hate to say it. So being convicted of murder and doing it in that method is actually really, really selfish to him. Because he could have helped a lot more people. He could have. If he just kept doing it under the table, he could have helped. But his whole reason, what he stated, his whole reason of doing that is to really, just like with any political radicals, Mm -hmm. right? You Mm -hmm. have to do something big. Make a splash. You got to make a big splash. And that's kind of what he was going. Because he was a radicalist. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah. So, I mean, the dude videotaped this guy dying. I mean, yeah, he consented to it, but still, come on. Whoa, that's crazy. Anyways, so he had applied for parole, like, a bunch of times, and they denied him. <laughs> um, He's not violent. He, I mean... <laughs> he just kills you. Or helps you set it up, at and, least. And uh, pleasantly. Yeah. It's still not violent. It's not like he's taking a hacksaw to you. That's true. Like, um, like Jack the Ripper. Yeah. But then um, he was... He was... Didn't, 
He was repeatedly denied parole until <laughs> 2007. Um, but then, um, supposedly, he was terminally ill with hep C, which I only found that in one source. I didn't see it anywhere else. Um, so I don't know how accurate that was, um, which they say he contracted while doing his research on blood transfusions that we mentioned before. That makes sense. And that, that, that was that in, would happen. And that was in the 60s. That so. would happen. Um, and then now he, they can actually cure hep C, which is crazy. I know. So they did end up, because um, he was, this is funny, he was expected to die within a year. <laughs> <laughs> uh, is that ironic? Well, he didn't die because he was granted parole in 2007 <laughs> because the, yeah, because they're like, well, he's going to die anyway, so just let him out. So they let him out. Do like the compassionate release type of thing? I guess so. So he had only spent eight years and two and a half months in prison. Okay. So he didn't even full ter- serve his full sentence because he was supposed to do 10 to 25. So he only did eight. Nah. <laughs> compassionate release. There you go. So, I mean... <laughs> He didn't die for a while. <laughs> so, so when but he couldn't practice medicine. No, so allegedly. The, so what it was was uh, he was on parole for two years under the conditions that he would not help anyone <laughs> else die. It said it said he will not help anyone else die or provide care for anyone older than sixty two or disabled. Which I'm like, ha, jokes on you. Most of his patients were in their fifties. I was gonna say that that makes no sense at all. Yeah, people. Most, yeah, the median age was like 52 or 53 Did or something like that. they not do their own research? Clearly not. And most of mine was like, a, you know, like Google search. Wow. So Did Google, when did Google come about? 2007? Oh, yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Should They should have known. Anyway, so I just thought that was funny. And so in April 15th and 16th of 2010, that's when he was on the CNN's Anderson Cooper 360. Um, and he did a lot of you know, interviews. And this is where I got a lot of interesting quotes from him. And Cooper asked, um, you're that saying... That dude doesn't age, by the way. And no, he doesn't. Cooper, he looks exactly the same he today does. as he probably did in 2007. I know. He's probably, he's probably the Grim Reaper. So like... Probably. So anyway, um, he... Him and Kevorkian are tight. They're very tight. <laughs> so you, so Cooper asked to Kevorkian, you're saying doctors play God all the time, which Kevorkian replied, of course, anytime you interfere with a natural process, you are playing God. Truth. Very true. Truth bombs right there. Because some were saying, oh, he's having a God complex because he's ending their life. Yeah. Keep taking your Torvastatin and eating a McDonald's, <laughs> you dick. That's I know. playing God too. Because that McDonald's Big Mac would have killed you 10 years ago. Seriously. And then, and then there was other quotes that I got from him too. And it was saying like, you know, the argument that when they were saying, well, your patients weren't actually terminal. Um, and then he replied, we're all terminal. We're all going <laughs> to die. <laughs> uh, he's got a point. He did. I loved that quote. He's like, we're all terminal. <laughs> like, Life is terminal, right? It, it is. And 100% I was just of people like, that are alive will die. Yeah. 100%. And I was just like, huh. That's fucking funny. I'm sorry. That's... He was pretty, he was pretty snarky. Oh, you, he... You'd need to watch his uh, his interview. You'd identify with him a lot. So Whoa, whoa, <laughs> you're, whoa. You're pretty snarky. Oh, I'm like, yeah, okay, snarky. I don't want to be going out killing people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I usually yeah. say murder is bad, but there's that 1% of the population. That 1%. Well, in Kevorkian's case, maybe it's 2%. Oh, uh, well, yeah. <laughs> right. So <laughs> another interesting, funny thing about Kevorkian, after he was released from prison, did you know he um, tried to run for Congress? in detroit 
In Michigan? Yeah, Michigan. Yeah. No. Well, I mean, anywhere. I didn't know. But, yeah. I mean, it makes sense it would be in Michigan. But, yeah, no. Mm-mm. Yeah, he ran He ran for I Congress. I bet he lost. He did lose. But you know what's interesting? I'm going to show you. Do you actually have statistics He did pretty well. <laughs> yeah, I'm showing you in the notes. So, obviously, the Democratic Party won. Uh, oh, no, the Republic. No, the Democratic Party won. Yeah. Followed closely behind with the Republican. Jack Kevorkian was independent. He did better than the Libertarian and the Green Party. <laughs> huh. He did better than them by double. <laughs> like that's, uh, I mean, he he did far worse than the Republican well, or the course. Democrat. But for the uh, all the other players that always get you know like ten percent of the runoff vote, he did he did better. He did. He had over eight thousand. He had over eight thousand votes. Hmm. Granted, you know, Democratic Party had one hundred and eighty three thousand, but you know, it's fine. Still, it's it's <laughs> for, good for him. You know what? Honestly, if I. That was an 08. So if I would have voted, which I definitely wasn't doing that because um, I had better things to do, but like I probably would have voted for him just for funsies. I don't know because all we got was the stuff on the news that was all bad. So I probably wouldn't have voted. I'd be him. like, oh, he's killing people. He's got my vote. <laughs> mm, he's killing decent people, though. Not the, like, you know, the people allegedly. That it. We don't know how they were. True. But not just because you have a terminal disease doesn't make you a saint anymore. No, it doesn't. But uh, you said these people had pretty supportive families. So well, the ones that I brought up, there was 130. I didn't look into all of them. (laughs) Some of them are like, yeah, go ahead. They're fine. (laughs) Let me tell you about my childhood. (laughs) Let me tell you about my childhood. Um, So anyway, as we mentioned, um, Kevorkian is dead. He eventually did die. So um, from hepatitis? No. So he actually. So he was hospitalized in May eighteenth, two thousand and eleven, and everywhere I looked, it said kidney problems, and I'm like, Kid- come on, guys. And so I don't know if it was acute kidney injury or like he had like kidney disease or whatever, and pneumonia. Which you know, okay, fine, pneumonia. pneumonia yeah, pneumonia. To a lot of people in the hospital. It sure yeah. does. So um, his condition did um, deteriorate pretty quickly, and he did eventually die from a pulmonary thrombosis. Oh, um, in June on June third, two thousand eleven. So, and it was eight days after his eighty third birthday. So he died at the ripe old age of eighty three. Hmm. Mhm. And um, if anybody's interested, he died at the William Beaumont Hospital in Royal Oak, Michigan. Of course. Did he ever leave Michigan? I mean, his... He did He did do a, some traveling, because um, after he was released from prison, he did do a lot of guest speaking. He did go to universities and do a lot of guest speaking. Um, University of Michigan? No. <laughs> They're I, like, I think, no, we've had our fill of him. Yeah, I think him and U of M had... Um, a, yeah, they had they, their issues. They had to split the sheets. They did have to split the Kick sheets. Kick rocks, bro. We want none of your shenanigans. Yeah. So he... Higher level institution. Yeah. But, the, you know, with... During... Especially after the trial for, you know, the euthanasia of Tom, he... Um, this sparked lots of debate and controversy. And that's why a lot of, you know, universities and other um, medical professions didn't want to hear what he had to say because there is a lot that he is he did a lot of research um he wasn't some crazy ass that was just murdering people he actually did have a method he did have he did document and research and so um and he did have a lot of um support as well from people so you know it, it had and then you have the one side of people that were saying, you know, he just kind of was very, what's the word? Um, 
he was quick to just kill him. Like, you know, he would say a lot of the patients would, after meeting him, he they would be dead in like 24 to 48 hours. But like with Tom, that kind of shows like, well, yeah, that's kind of the whole reason why they're meeting him. It's not like, you know, they're going to sit around for another six months contemplating on their right. And then humanity. The, and then the argument of like, well, not all his patients were terminal. There was not appropriate. Like they had mental health. We're all terminal. That's yeah. fucking hilarious. I'm yeah. sorry. I'm going to... I'm still in that. Oh, I'm yeah. going to use it all the time. Well, now. he can't get he can't claim it from you, so you know. Copyrighted, done, yeah. done. Um, or like that they had they were depressed, and people with depression cannot make very sound decisions. That's fine, but fucking, you give me a terminal illness, and I'm going to be depressed yeah. as fuck. Yeah, and then also some of them <laughs> argued that well, they're under the influence of pain medications, uh-huh. and I'm like for their terminal illness, uh-huh. for their for their uh pain (laughs) and then on the flip side they're like but oh some of them weren't even in chronic pain i'm like well what do you want them to have pain medicine or not pain medicine like and you can't play both sides of the fence people yeah and my in like and i'm not trying to discredit the other side but obviously i am totally on kevorkian side i'm i I am i'm biased towards that i'm trying to represent the other side but i think it's stupid so (laughs) well because yeah it's, it's obvious it is very obvious well because i understand their perspective of like how it can be totally abused and people who have a history of suicidal ideation and depression and all that wanting to end their life. But my caveat to that is like, okay, well, if you have some, and we've talked about this, where you have somebody who is chronically depressed, chronically have suicidal ideation, and they go through all these treatments and they don't help. What kind of life is that? It's no kind of life. Exactly. And I deal with patients like that all the time. They're like, oh, for my whole life. And they're like 50 or 60 now. They're like, for my whole life, I've been depressed. I'm like, well, A, how do you actually know you're depressed if you've never not been depressed? Mm-hmm. That's number one question. B, if you have been depressed that long, your life sucks. Yeah. Right? They're never happy. Right. They never, they don't interact with anybody because they don't connect with anybody. Yeah. It's very isolating and it's a terrible way. And depression does hurt physically. It does hurt physically. So my thing is, it's like, you know, with like those people, I'm like, honestly, if they want to be done. Done. I I feel like that should be their choice. I think it's, and this is all me talking, but I think, you know what? And this is what Kevorkian was saying. People have a right to live and they have a right to end their life the way they want it to end. You know, obviously, sometimes that's not within our control. I can walk down the street, get hit by a freaking car and die. And I don't really have a lot of control over that. Probably not. No, but you know what? If I were, you know. Then again, as long as you don't be flipping off people that are driving past you, because that's, you know, what you do. Yeah. Well, anyway. Sorry. So, but you know what I mean? But then if if, if ha- being handed a death sentence, you have no control. But at least you can have control of, well, I'm not going to die shitting the bed and having my family have to change me or in a shitty nursing home where it's like you're not going to get changed for like 12 hours and i get bed sores or if i have alzheimer's and i'm assaulting people and then you have to be a tube fed because nothing fucking works because you got lou gehrig's and you can't swallow so they put a tube in your stomach to keep you alive just to prolong your suffering yes what's what's the point of keeping people alive in that state what you know what kind of life is that it's stupid it's just i think it's completely inhumane so this ethics guy who thinks that that's okay yeah, right. I in, in life, just like in most things, it's definitely uh, quality over quantity. Yeah, for sure. So that's my that's my rant on that. But and that's what Kevorkian was about too. But his um, all his stuff was not in vain because it did make a lot of changes. Okay, hit me. Okay, so California, 
Um, I'm going to go through the states that have it legalized, and some of them who have an interesting background, I'm going to tell you. Well, I'll start with California. Um, California passed the End of Life Option Act in 2015, and what really set that in motion, um, because there has been lots of times they try to, you know, legalize it and it gets shot down. Um, but in 2014, there was a young woman by the name of Brittany Maynard. You may have heard about her. She was in the news a ton. Um, she was a 30-year-old, beautiful gal, very young. She's only 30, and she had brain cancer, and she was going to die. She was terminal. Oh, brutal. Yeah, and so she um, became an advocate for legalization and aid in dying because she was like, I don't want to die this horrible death and have my husband take care of me and watch me and remember me that way. I want him to remember me that I'm still able to talk and everything. And and she, yeah, so, and it turned into, I remember watching the news about this. It turned into a big debate because she was so young and she's so beautiful, blah, blah, blah. And she has, and I'm like, but that doesn't escape the fact she has brain cancer. She's going to die soon. In a not good way. In not a good way. It's going to be soon. It's not going to be in like 10 years, like like Alzheimer's. It's going to be soon, like within a year, two maybe. And it's going to suck. It's going to be terrible. Mm -hmm. So, And she was like, I don't want that. And so um, she ended up going, leaving her home state of California and to go reside in Oregon. And I remember watching this in the news. She went to go live in Oregon so she had residency because at that time you had to be a resident of Oregon to, um, to have access to Death with Dignity Act. So Oregon obviously was, were they the first person in the nation to pass? Um, yes. I think they were. Go Oregon. Yeah. He is rock. Yeah, Oregon. I mean, Portland's a little sketch, but the yeah, rest of you are okay. Right. And so, um, so yeah, and so she went and left and went to Oregon so she can be a resident and then she actually did. Oddly enough, I think just last year they changed that, that you don't have to, you no longer have to be yeah, a resident. Yeah, that's in my notes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. I was going to bring that up. So I read that in the paper the other day. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. So California ended up did passing that act in 2015. I'm like a little late fuckers, but whatever. Okay. You, you did just say that the judge, you know, you're in pitch when you were reprimanding the judge because it takes so fucking long to get laws passed. I mean, come on. Yeah, well, I guess. Well. Too fucking late. Too fucking late. All right, Colorado, 2016. That's all I wrote because it wasn't in anything interesting. Same thing with District of Columbia. Um, they passed the Death with Dignity Act in 2016 as well. Hawaii, the medical aid and dying law was passed in 2018. Maine, they passed the Death with Dignity Act in 2019. Montana, aid and dying Supreme Court. Um, so this was really... Um, um, what was the word I'm looking for? Proactive? In, proactive in a case with Baxter versus Montana. So it was a group of physicians and a man with a, his last, last name was, was Baxter. Baxter. Yeah. Get out of town. Yeah, he was terminal. He wanted to die by the assistance of his physicians because he wanted to die peacefully and with dignity. And it was illegal. So they had this whole court proceeding. Um, and they ruled, um, yeah, no, it should be a thing. And then, yeah. Baxter got what he needed, so good for them. Yeah, good for I'm them. I'm surprised Montana. They're I know. they're really they're really conservative. Yeah, right. They're very red. They're very red and like lead red. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know. I was shocked when I was researching. I was like, Montana, really, really, Montana? Okay, no, nowhere on the East Coast. I mean, Maine, but Maine, <laughs> fucking Maine. Out of all, like I would have thought like 
Boston or New York or something, but fucking Maine. Fucking Maine? <laughs> Maine's pretty conservative, too. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. Okay. Good for Maine and Montana. Go, guys. <laughs> Way to go, guys. Like, I expect the West Coast. That's that's par for the course. Washington's not. <laughs> uh, I'm getting there. Oh, I'm okay. not done yet. So. All right. I, I figured they'd be there. Yeah, they're there. Um, New Jersey, they passed their aid oh, and there's dying. my East Coast peeps. There you are. New Jersey passed their aid and dying for the Terminally Ill Act in 2019. So rather recently, New Mexico legalized um, in 2014, but it was overturned in 2015, which I'm like, what the fuck? And then, um, then that's they... Re- that's, re- that's ridiculous. I know. And then they ended up passing the um, End of Life Option Act uh in 2021 i was like where did i write the date in 2021 so again that was pretty recent too there's hasn't been overturned yet no weird oregon so the death with dignity act was first approved in 1994 but the act came into effect in 97 notice any time weird yeah time frame um similarities Hmm. yeah this Hmm. is all they're like watching well because some of kevorkian's patients came from oregon I can't recall which one, but one of the more commonly known mm-hmm. patients was from Oregon. Um, and I and I did read it, and I didn't write it down, so I can't remember. Again, go Oregon. Yeah. So, like like you were saying, in, in 2020, the state of Oregon ruled it unconstitutional to refuse assisted suicide to people from other states who are willing to travel to Oregon to die that way. Um, so, basically, before, you couldn't just, like, hop on over to Oregon and be like, hi, I want to die. I'm just here for the legalized marijuana and the death. Right on. (laughs) Party on. Yeah, yeah, you couldn't do that. You had to become an Oregon resident, and I think you had to live there for a certain amount of time. Uh, To be a resident, you'd have to live there for a certain amount of time. Yeah. Just like for college, right, to get your residency. I I guess so. Um, But, yeah, no. So because – I'm reading through my notes. Oregon – so because before, when someone would travel to Oregon to die by physician-assisted suicide, um, those who were helping the patient travel to Oregon um, may be prosecuted for assisting in suicide, which I'm like, what the What? F-? Yeah, they could. How fucking ridiculous was that? That's kind of like, have you heard about all these abortion laws in the weird states like Texas and Idaho mm-hmm. that now say that if you help transport a patient to go get an abortion like out of state, mm-hmm. you, can be, you can be fined and sent to prison? Yeah, that's that seems a little extreme. My God, right? guys! Same thing with this. That's fucking extreme. And then after the barbiturates are acquired, the patient returns to their home state. Those assisting mixing the fatal dose of barbiturates may be prosecuted for assisting a suicide. The fuck! I know, right? Crazy, but that's gone now. Good, good, because <laughs> so, that that's... well, as long as they stay in Oregon, I wouldn't go to other states that I... are not legalized. No. Just no. stay in Oregon. And then transport the body afterwards. It's going to be a little more spendy. That's fine. That's fine. fine. Or, you know, just pack them up in a small box because they're cremated. That works, too. There you go. Um, then we have Vermont. They uh, I just like the name of the acts. So this one is Patient's Choice and Control at End of Life Act. I like that one. I like that. I just like the death with dignity. That's nice. The death, yeah. And that was passed in 2013. In um, Washington State, initially failed in 91. Again, hmm. interesting time frame. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Washington voters, um, they appro- so Washington voters approved for the Death with Dignity Act in 2008. But the thing is, I looked at the percentages. It was, <laughs> it was really like, close. It was super close. It was like 48 to 
52. I bet if you looked at them, I bet you all of the percentages were close. They were super, they were super close. Because I can see how you could be on either side of the fence. I get it. I don't. I don't get the other side of the fence. I don't understand it. Prolonging life at any cost. I've already made a pact with Batman. I'm like, don't worry. I will not let you get to the point where you're a confused old man trying to fight your nurses. You'll be dead before then. And he says, and that's why I love you so much. And I'm like, I know. Well, again, uh, not again, but uh, it's always easier said than done. Yeah. Right? Because I've said that to people too. But then at the time, I'm like, whoo, could I do it? Oh, I don't not doubt better. it's a hard decision and gives you pause. But then I think with, uh, you know, us working in healthcare and watching mm, that. Yeah, for real on that. It makes you kind of like, no, dying is far worse than death. You know, if that yes. makes sense. It, no, I, I totally 100% get what so, you're like, saying. So like living through the process of dying mm-hmm. is horrible. It's horrible. I've watched family members die that way. I've watched people I didn't even know die horrible. Like there was one that kind of still haunts me a little bit where he um end stages of copd which Ooh. yeah and that's rough and he had said that he did not want to prolong it when it no. was done it would just be done but even still we give so much medication so it was so sad because the family was like we're going to honor his wishes just stop intubating him just let him go and so we were at the bedside just constantly pushing Ativan and morphine, Ativan and morphine, Ativan. And he was still writhing and gasping and pleading. He kept saying, please. And it was horrific. And it, it happened years ago. And it's still like, I remember it so vividly. And I was so relieved when he finally died. And I felt so awful. Like, I felt like a monster just watching him. Well, and not being able to help, like doing everything you can to help, but because you're still like confined by those medical ethics. Yeah, Dr. Dumbass. That you can't help more. Yeah. Right? Mm Mm-hmm. I get it. So, so yeah, um, I thought this was a great episode because like, was Kevorkian a villain or was he a hero or a savior? Anti-hero. He was definitely Mm anti-hero. Just Mm -hmm. like us. Just like us. Just like Batman. That's right. The Dark Knight. So, um. But I'm interested to hear what our listeners think, what their opinions are. Definitely. You can be against me, and that's totally fine. I will not call you a doctor dumbass because you're probably not a doctor. But <laughs> Even if you are. But no, I'm not going to say that she won't call you that because she might. I might. She's a villain. I am so a villain. Rolls. But I really love to hear other people's opinions. Definitely. Because I want to see if you can sway me. I highly doubt you'll sway me from this. Play the devil's advocate. Do it. Yeah, Jugger Doc does it all the fucking time and it annoys the piss out of me. I can be on either side of the fence any day of the week. It just it, depends on my mood. It, it really does. So, yeah, if you guys have any other information about it that you want to share or your opinion or whatever, we're really interested to hear what you think. Definitely. Hit us up. Yeah. So, real quick, um, before we do our spiel, I want to do my sources before I forget. Do it. I don't have very many. Um, Wikipedia. Of Wikipedia course. was awesome. <laughs> It's so nice. Oh, Wikipedia. It's great. I know. Like, Do I you ever t- donate to them? No. I probably should. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm i sorry, Wikipedia. <laughs> like, I donate. Do you really? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so nice. Every once in a while. It's like a buck. I'm oh. like, you know, I use it enough that uh, I'll donate. Okay. Well, I don't. So. That's fine. It's fine. <laughs> um, and then I also read a magazine article um, from the Historical Library of U of M. 
um, or the Bentley Historical Library of U of M, and the author was uh, Katie Vi- Volet. Sorry, not Violet. Volet. Volbeat. V L O E T. Volet. Volet. It's probably Vol- French. Oh, Volet. Listen, I'm on cultured swine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then, of course, I referenced the 60 Minutes interview Mm -hmm. uh, with Jack Kevorkian. And then um, Jack Kevorkian's obituary from The Guardian was actually very informative. Fascinating. uh Uh-huh. Yep. So those are my sources. Okay, good. Um, So anyway... I hope everybody liked today's episode. It was kind of lengthy. It was a little lengthy. It's about an hour and a half. That's fine. It's totally fine. They'll suck it up. Well, then they can break it up. So, (laughs) um, but if you guys liked today's episode, please be sure to like, subscribe, share, wherever you listen to podcasts. Yeah. Tell people about us. Email us at healthcarevillains at gmail.com. And you can also follow us on Instagram at healthcarevillains. That's right. And so, um, yep. Then we'll talk to you guys next Tuesday. All right. Okay. Bye. Bye.